Grace, peace, and mercy to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. This is the Key Row Film Society, and I am Pastor Neil Wemus. I am a pastor in Northwest Iowa, um, specifically Ocheedon, Iowa. I have a tri-parish uh, congregations. Uh, this is the podcast that primarily the purpose is to uh, look at movies, look at pop culture from a Christian perspective. Today is going to be a little bit different podcast. This podcast, there's going to be no movies brought into the equation. Um, first, and so what we're going to do, and the reason is, is I want to do, this podcast is going to set up the next podcast. So today, the next podcast I plan to be doing, so probably some point during next week, is a podcast about the movie the Nativity Story. And before I do that, I want to do a thorough episode with a thorough exegetical study of, or somewhat detailed exegetical study of um, the accounts of the Nativity, the accounts of the birth of Jesus. Uh, so that's going to be the theme of today. We're just going to be reading through the scriptures. I'm going to give commentary, you know, comments here and there about some of the details of the text to kind of give a little bit more to it. And as we go through this, you're going to hear a variety of music uh, played. I'm playing this, you know, a raw recording off of uh, YouTube videos as I often do. So that very first song, you music you heard, uh, that was taken from uh, Christ College in Cambridge. Uh, that was the singing of the song uh, Once in Royal David City. And so this podcast plus the recording on the Nativity Story next week sometime will make up my 12 Days of, of Christmas podcast. Because uh, in case you don't know... Um, Christmas is not just one day. Christmas actually is 12 days. So December 25th, sorry, December 24th at 6 o'clock p.m. That is the start of Christmas, all right? And it goes, which is known as Christmas Eve, or the evening of Christmas. And so from that time until January 6th, the date that we call Epiphany, that is the time of Christmas. Those are the 12 days of Christmas. And <coughs> the origin of these 12 days of Christmas, go back a little bit historically, all the way back in the second century. There are already a number of church fathers who were trying to come down with a date for the birth of Jesus. You can find a really good um, analysis on this, really good uh, write-up on this on the blog site known as uh, Brothers of John the Steadfast. But in all the way back in this, you know, the mid to late second century, like I said, they're trying to calculate the birth of Jesus and. 
there was a superstition or a belief or a legend, whatever you want to call it, at the time that a great prophet died on the same date that he was conceived. So in other words, they so the thing was, they believed that Jesus was crucified and conceived on March 25th. And the reason why March 25th stand, was chosen is because it does kind of fit into that springtime when a Passover might have happened. And traditionally, March 25th, in many cultures, has been known as New Year's Day because it was believed to be the first day of creation. And so, March 25th is the day that they believed that Jesus was crucified. And that was the day that he was, and so therefore it was also the day he was conceived. Which is why, to this day, the church celebrates the day of the Annunciation. So the time when uh, the angel Gabriel visited Mary, who was pregnant with Jesus. We celebrate that on March 25th. So you add uh, nine months for nine months of pregnancy to March 25th, you end up with December 25th. And now the thing that kind of gives it a little bit of complication is that in the Eastern Church, they have they followed the Julian calendar. And they follow a different calendar. And so they were they would state that Jesus was crucified on April 6th. And again, you add nine months for that April 6th crucifixion slash um, conception. You add nine months to it and you get January 6th. So, December 25th to January 6th, extend the gap between the two choices for the days of Christmas. And that makes up the 12 days of Christmas. And so, this week... You know, it's not quite Christmas yet as I'm recording this. We've still got a couple days. Um, today is the second to last day of Advent. But uh, next week when I record, it will be in, in the midst of those 12 days of Christmas. This is why it's actually good practice to not take down your Christmas tree on December 26th as much as people are tempted to do with that. You keep your Christmas tree up until at least January 6th, because that's when Christmas is officially over. I know that's hard for people to do, but I, sh I really do encourage that you do. That's what you should do in your house. As you go around your house, you see that tree still up on January 6th as a reminder to yourself that Christmas is not over yet. All right? So, with that all in mind... Uh, we are going to, I'm going to continue, we're going to begin into this um, reading of the Christmas narratives, reading through various portions of the Gospels. And so before we go into that, you, here's going to be a recording of the hymn, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, as it is recorded by the Mormon Tabernacle Choir.
All right, so uh, we begin here. We're going to, if you have a Bible, I encourage you to open it up. And we're going to be, I'm going to be working out of the English Standard Version. And so we are going to start in uh, Luke chapter 1, beginning at the 26th verse. It writes, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. Now, as a quick note, before I go any farther, when it says in the sixth month, it's talking about the sixth month of Elizabeth's uh, pregnancy. So, the Gospel of Luke begins talking about the fact that Elizabeth is pregnant. She actually, it's, it's told to Zechariah while he is in the temple by an angel. So an angel appears before Zechariah. It's the angel Gabriel, the very same angel here who was visiting Jesus, visiting Mary. And so he appeared to Zechariah, who was a man of old age. His wife was a woman of old age. So this is striking to mind the similarities to Abraham and Sarah of the Old Testament. And so the angel appeared and told Zechariah that Elizabeth would be pregnant with a child and he was going to be the forerunner. He was to prepare the way for the Messiah, uh, to prepare the way for the Most High. And, um, and so... Verse 26, it says, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel. So this is talking about in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy with John. All right? So, again, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. Okay, so first off, this so this angel shows up before Mary. And he says this phrase, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. This is actually kind of a neat little statement because we actually, this, this phrase, the Lord is with you, is a phrase that anybody that goes to a liturgical church, this should sound familiar. You've heard the pastor say many times over, the Lord be with you. And to which the congregation says, and with thy spirit, or, and also with you. See, when the past, when the angel is telling this to Mary, the Lord is with you. In a little bit, we're going to read it, that what he is telling her is that she is pregnant, that the Lord himself is in her womb. All right? So when he says the Lord is with you, it is very literal. 
Similarly, when a pastor says to you, the Lord be with you, he is not saying that you are pregnant with the Lord. Okay, only one person has had that task. But he is saying that the Lord is with you literally. When you were baptized, you were clothed with Christ. When the scriptures are spoken to you, the Lord comes to you. The Holy Spirit comes to you. When you receive the Lord's Supper, the Lord Jesus is in the bread. He is in the wine. His body is in that bread. His blood is in that wine. And so when the past the pastor says the Lord is with you, the Lord be with you, he tells you that first time it's right before the scripture readings and the sermon <clears throat> to let you know that the Lord is with you as you hear his word read to you, proclaimed to you. The second time it happens is right before the Lord's Supper to let you know that the Lord is with you as he is in that bread, he is in that wine. So the Lord is with you as you actually eat of him. And again, he says, the Lord be with you um, right before the service is over to let you know that the Lord is with you on account of the fact that you are a baptized child of God. So no matter what goes on in your life, as you go about your life in your daily vocation, the Lord is with you. All right? So it continues. But she, Mary, was greatly troubled at the saying. It tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. So, she's greatly troubled here. And the reason is, is because in the times of the scriptures, they, under, they understood their superstition or their understanding about visits of, from angels was that if an angel visited you, an angel visited you for one purpose and one purpose only, and that, well, not one purpose only, but most common reason that an angel would visit you was to tell you that you are about to die. So this is what, and so this is why actually when the angel shows up to Zechariah, Zechariah is afraid. That's why Mary here is afraid. And not only that, because I mean, part of their fear is because of the fact they are in present of a, in the presence of a holy angel. They're not holy. They're not sinless. But this angel is without sin. And here he is, in that angel is in the presence of Mary. And so, for one, she doesn't feel she would be worthy of being in his presence. And the same thing with Zechariah. But the greater thing is that, like I said, there's this, the thought would be, <coughs> oh, it's time for me to die. That's why this angel is here. But he says, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you, which confuses her. That doesn't sound like the greeting, sound like something you're going to say, we're going to tell somebody that they're going to die. So it says, he says, do not be afraid, Mary, 
For you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. And you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? Now this is of note. Three times, so verse 26 to 34, three times it is mentioned that Mary is a virgin. The Greek word, Parthenos can only be translated as virgin. There is no other translation for it. I know there are those out there that will say that Jesus, that Mary wasn't a virgin. They'll bring up the verse in um, Isaiah chapter 7 where it says, Behold, a virgin shall, conceive, shall bear a son, and she shall call him Emmanuel. And we're going to get to that verse in a little bit later here. But they'll bring up that verse and they'll talk about how in Hebrew, the word that is translated as virgin can also be young woman, which they are correct. But the problem is, is the Gospel of Matthew, which we're going to, again, we're going to read that a little bit. The Gospel of Matthew does not take it as young woman. It translates it as parthenos, as virgin. And the same thing is holding true here in Luke. Three times he says that she is a virgin. It is recorded that she is a virgin. And it make, doesn't make sense for her to ask what she does in verse 34 if she's just a wo young woman. Why? Because young women can get pregnant, but virgins can't, which, is, which makes the question she asks in 34, verse 34 makes sense. So it says, And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. And so see, there's how you know that verse 26 when it says, In the sixth month, that's referring to the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, because here in verse 36, it's restating that. And so verse 37, For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. At this time... We continue with the hymn, O Little Town of Bethlehem. And this one's sung by Nat King Cole. Nat King Cole. Bye. 
Alright, so now we're going to continue, excuse me, continue into verse 39, where it says, In those days Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country, to a town in Judah, and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy, and blessed is she, who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what has spoken was spoken to her from the Lord. So <clears throat> Mary goes to Elizabeth, and John, who is in Elizabeth's womb, leaps at the voice of Mary. But he's not leaping because of Mary. He is leaping because of who is in Mary's womb. And that is the Messiah, the Christ, Jesus. The one who would be called Jesus. This is what, this little fact is a, a small thing, but it is a good reminder that infants can have faith. Because here, John, even from the womb, has faith. This can be words of encouragement, especially to uh, women who have miscarried, who have lost their children in pregnancy. <clears throat> because this shows that their children can have saving faith, even when in the womb. So with that, we're, so that's all we're going to get out of that text. We are going to jump over to the Gospel of Matthew, uh, Matthew chapter one, <clears throat> and we're going to begin at verse eighteen, <clears throat> and it writes. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Now... <clears throat> As we read, you you hear that. Let's put this into 
perspective. Joseph is engaged to Mary. And this actually gives us a little bit on the detail of the age. It was the common age of engagement uh, for women in the first century Judea was about the age of, you know, 13 to 15 years old. So Mary is likely somewhere between 13 and 15 years old. And she is engaged to Joseph, who probably would have been 18 or 19. And it turns out, and Joseph finds out that Mary is pregnant. Mary has not been with Joseph. Joseph has not, Joseph has never been with her. And so his first assumption is not that Mary is pregnant with, you know, she is not pregnant on account of the Holy Spirit. That is not the assumption that anybody's going to have because that has only happened once in the entire history of the world. And so even if she were to tell Joseph this, it's not likely he is going to believe her. So as far as he is concerned, she cheated on him. And he has every grounds, there, he has every right to divorce her. And actually in that time, he even had the right to stone her to death. But being a just man, he was, he was resolving to divorce her. The whole doing it quietly and not stoning her to death was the de un desire to not put her to shame. Alright? So this is why he's going to divorce her quietly. It's because, it's because he's a just man that he's going to divorce her, but because he doesn't want to put her to shame, he desires to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. So, here's that prophecy I was just mentioning a little bit ago. I'm not going to go back into that subject about the virgin, because you just heard about it, but it is a note that Matthew says that it was spoken it was what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. So this is this does tell us 
that the Old Testament is God's word and we need to take it seriously because the Gospels believe so. And then there's this, the title that is given is Emmanuel. This is something that's a big deal for the Gospel of Matthew. Because, um, see, the Gospel of Matthew really likes to use what is known as a chiasm. Chiasm is a word, is to just basically, I want you to kind of imagine, it basically lets you know that the book is structured in a way that much of the book kind of folds in on itself. You know, kind of overlaps, corresponds to other parts. And specifically, it's almost like a direct parallel. And so, um, and this is one of those chiasm moments, I'd argue, that go from the very beginning of the gospel to the very end. And so, verse 23, so he's called Emmanuel, which means God with us. If you go all the way to the very last verse of the gospel of Matthew, it is says, lo, I am with you always to the end, of the, the end of age. That is Jesus speaking. That is Jesus fulfilling that name, Emmanuel, which means God with us. All right, so we're going to, so at that, um, we're going to take, again, another break. And we are going to, here is the hymn um, by Martin Luther, From heaven above to earth I come. This is from uh, the CD, Martin Luther, Hymns, Ballads, Chants, Truth, um, as published by Concordia Publishing House. So the next text we're going to jump to is Luke chapter 2, beginning at the first verse. And it writes, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. Now, I should note here that there is two reasons why uh, this is actually kind of an important little statement. Uh, the first reason is that um, 
it marks the period in history when this happened. And if you combine also uh, what is recorded in the Gospel of Matthew, you get more. And so we know that this happened during the reign of Caesar Augustus, during the reign of Quirinius, who was governor of Syria. And if you bring in Matthew's Gospel, you also know it's during the reign of Herod. So these three individuals um, help you to mark the historical moment. The other thing is it shows that God was being obedient to the law of man. So Jesus is being brought to Bethlehem out of being carried in the womb of Mary out of obedience to the laws of Caesar. And this is a sign that God, Jesus, this Messiah, this Christ, is not coming <clears throat> to establish an earthly kingdom or to overthrow the earthly rules. Rather, he is to bring an eternal kingdom. All right? So verse 4. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth. Nazareth is, you know, that's his hometown, and that becomes a factor later, which is why he's called Jesus of Nazareth. Uh, Nazareth was a town of about, um, you know, 50 people, probably less. And so he went from Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. So if you go back into the Old Testament, you will see that David was born, he, he was raised up and he was born in Bethlehem. Uh, Bethlehem was a town about 800 people, not a huge one. So he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. So he goes to, um, to Bethlehem and with his wife, well, his wife-to-be, Mary, who's pregnant with Jesus, He's going there in obedience, and it says here that it, the, while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. This is letting you know that it wasn't like we see sometimes in the movies where they're rushing. He's, she is going to give birth any minute, and this is going to come up when I talk about the movie The Nativity Story. But it looks like he, she is going to give birth. She's pregnant. She's going to give birth any second, any moment. But that's not what happens. That's not what the text says. The text is letting you know that they had been there for a little while by the time that Mary gave birth. And then it says that they lied, laid him in a manger because there's no place for them in the inn. One of the problems with most of our our understanding of that word is that word in, when we read the word in, we usually think of um, in like Holiday Inn or the Super 8 Motel or whatever. We think of a motel type in. But the Greek word that is used here is better translated as guest room. 
And that is the kind of end that's being spoken of. And so to kind of give you a perspective, a picture of what's going on here is what's going on is that, you know, Joseph, Mary, they're going to Bethlehem. And so are many of the descendants of David likely to go to Bethlehem. So the town is probably overflowing with people, even though it's a town normally of 800 people. And so, and it was too small to have a hotel. So the whole idea of a mean old innkeeper and the innkeeper's wife is not biblical. It's not there. But they, most of these, most houses in this time had inns or guest rooms. And because so many people were into town, it is natural that these guest rooms would be taken. And so Mary and Joseph would likely be spending time with their um, relatives, with their cousins. And this is where it kind of shows, kind of makes it even more sobering, the fact that he was laid in a manger. Um, Kenneth Bailey, if you want to listen to it, he has a really good podcast on issues, etc. from a few years ago about this very subject. And I think his, uh, his arguments are good, but I don't agree with his conclusion. And he, he argues very strongly about the word guest room. And I, it, it's a very sound and reasonable and it's well um, reason argument and I agree with him based upon the Greek and the rest of the context but what I don't agree with is he takes the um, burden off of Bethlehem and he changes the he has in fact a, a children's play or children's uh, Christmas service or whatever that it's called Open Hearts at Bethlehem. And so it's arguing that actually Bethlehem gave them a house to stay in. And there's truth. They are very likely in a house. But it does not completely let them off the hook. And it may let off Bethlehem off the hook, but it doesn't let Joseph's family off the hook. Because what this means is the fact that he was laid in a manger because there's no place in the room for... No place for them in the inn or the guest room. That means that his relatives were unwilling for days. Because it says while they were there, the time came. So it's not even, it's not even that they, you know, it was a last minute thing. They had actually been there for some time. And no one, in no point in that time, did their relatives give up that guest room so that Mary could give birth to her child. That shows the tragic nature of what's happening. Is that Joseph's parent, his family, for what reason, we don't totally know, we could kind of guess, but for whatever reason, they decide to not let Joseph and Mary stay in that guest room, even though Mary's pregnant. Instead, they make Mary and Joseph stay in the place where the manger is, where the animals would stay if it was cold at night. To put it in modern perspective, it would be more akin to making them stay in the garage.
text continues. Verse 8. And so, actually, I'm not going to continue on quite yet. I'm going to play another song here. The hymn is, O Jesus Christ, thy manger is. And this is being sung by the Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne's Cantorai Choir. So, we continue into verse 8. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy. That will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Now I'm going to pause for a quick moment here. As a note, the, the words that you just heard, glory to God in the highest, these are the words that are um, that we say during in the liturgy. It's part of what is known as the Gloria in the Chelsea's. In the divine service, at, towards the beginning, the congregation sings what is known as, or chants, the canticle, what is known as the glory to Chelsea's. And the way it begins, so in like divine service three of Lutheran service book, the pastor will say, will chant, glory be to God on high. And then the congregation chimes in, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. We so it goes on like that. And so what's going on is, is that the congregation and the pastor together are taking part in what we see here. See, the word angel literally means messenger. And so it begins with only the pastor. So the pastor is delivering the good news to the congregation. 
Glory be to God on high. And then the congregation joins in and fulfills it as if they are also messengers of the good news to the pastor and to the world, which is really what we all are. In Divine Service 1, it kind of goes similar, except for in Divine Service 1, it goes, Glory to God in the highest, and peace to his people on earth. Lord God, Heavenly King, Almighty God and Father. So, etc., etc. And so there, the pastor actually says almost all of a translation of verse 14. Either way, the pastor is playing messenger to the congregation, expressing this good news. And then the rest of the glory in Excelsis is explaining it to some degree, or chanting what exactly that good news is. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world has had mercy upon us. So, it continues, When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, and as it had been told them. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Alright, so... <clears throat> so there is, you know, the first... There's one little detail I want to point into here. And actually, it's, they're kind of interrelated. So Jesus is born in the town of Bethlehem. There's a significance to this. First, it's significant because, like I said, this is the city of David, the great king who was promised all the way back in 2 Samuel that his son would have an everlasting kingdom. Secondly, you have the shepherds there. It is an area where there is a lot of shepherds. And again, David was a shepherd, as were some of the other notable figures in the, in the um, writings of the Old Testament. But also the word Bethlehem literally means house. Bethel means house and hem, bread, house of bread. Jesus is called the bread of life. And Jesus is laid in a manger when he is born. This is significant because a manger, the primary purpose of a manger, it is a feed, it's a, it's a place where animals feed. And yet it is there where Jesus is laid. The bread of the life is laid in a feeding place known as a manger, pointing forward to the fact that he would be this same child 
is in the bread and the wine and the Lord's Supper with which we are fed. And that is a truth that is so wonderfully uh, testified to and confessed in the hymn, Let All Mortal Flesh Keep Silence. And here it is sung by Fernando Ortega. We continue through Luke chapter 2. It says, And when the time came for their purification, so there is talk about both Mary and Jesus, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now if you go back into the Old Testament and read about that, it actually specifies that the people who would bring a pair of turtle doves or a pair of pigeons uh, for a sacrifice were the poorest of the poor. This is letting you know that Joseph and Mary were not very well off financially. So verse 25, now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed the God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace 
according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, and for glory to your people, Israel. Now this is, this little phrase is Simeon, the song of Simeon, it is known as the Nuptimitus. And if you do Divine Service 3, or many of the other orders of um, the Divine Service, they conclude right after the Lord's Supper, this is sung. And the reason is, is because, so here's Simeon, <coughs> who has been promised he would not see death until he had seen the Lord's Christ, has seen the Christ in this child, Jesus, in now he knows he can depart in peace. He could go and die because he has seen the salvation which God has prepared. So also, we, when we go to the Lord's Supper, we have Jesus. Jesus' body is in that bread. Jesus' blood is in that wine. And so you have seen, tasted, touched the Lord's Christ. And it is for that reason you may depart in peace according to God's word. For you have seen, taged, touched the, his salvation which is prepared in the presence of all peoples. So it continues in verse 33. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. That verse 35 very, very strongly tells you why Jesus was born. Jesus was born to die. He was born to be crucified. Verse 36. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own town of Nazareth, and the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. Now we should note that there is something that happens between verse 38 and 39. And we're about to get to that. And so you're going to have to jump to uh, Matthew chapter 2. But before that, we do that again. We're going to go to another song. What Child Is This? And this one is sung by Josh Groban. What child is this who lay to 
So we continue into Matthew chapter 2. Now this is what is normally read on the day of Epiphany. And I'm going to note, this is a part that is the visit of the wise men. If you go to most of your Christmas pageants, you're going to see this happens immediately, but at the same time, that just after Jesus is born. But it actually happens quite some time after. It actually happens somewhere in between verse, those two verses that I was just mentioning out of the Gospel of Luke. So it says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So, we have these, what is translated as wise men um, in, the Greek, in the English here. It's a much better translation would be magi. <coughs> the problem with wise men is that we hear wise men, we think of somebody who is wise, smart, kind of like a Yoda type figure or Gandalf or something like that. But that's not what it means in ancient cultures. Wise men was a way of speaking of a diviner or magi, which is a way of saying magicians, so stargazers, people who looked at the stars to predict the future. Which makes which, and when you realize that, it makes sense that they were following this star to worship him who had been born king of the Jews. Now we don't know the full details as to how they knew what to follow. We just know they did, and so it says that Herod the king heard this. He was troubled in all Jerusalem with him, and history has it that Herod was a person who was particular paranoid. He was paranoid of anybody that gave any threat of overthrowing his rule. He had killed two of his sons. He killed his wife, uh, one of his wives, all because he thought 
that they were trying to overthrow him. And actually, they weren't. And so this is why it says even the, it says all of Jerusalem was troubled because they were afraid of what Herod might do when, as he has heard of this news. So it says, Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until they came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Now the star... What was the nature of the star? Was this an actual physical star? Was it a merging of three different stars? Was it something miraculous? We don't know. We just know somehow or another God used this star to lead to guide them to Jesus. And when they came to them, it says that they they fell down and worshipped him. This is what the Greek the word that this is what we refer to as prostrate prostration. This is where people, a person would get down on their hands and their, get down on their belly, their chin pressed to the ground, laying their entire self out before them. So, I mean, I want you to imagine this. Imagine these magi that were probably really, you know, um, incredibly dressed, which you often see in a lot of art. Um, imagine these people laying their entire selves down in worship to a child. And we know this was not... See, the reason why we know this was not immediately after um, was not that this did not happen on the day that Jesus was born is because Jesus and Mary you know, and Joseph went to Jerusalem where Herod is to dedicate Jesus at the temple. They wouldn't do this if, you know, Herod was hunting them, as will be said in a little bit later here. It doesn't make sense for them to do that. So it's very clear that this happened quite some time after. And it does say, and it does appear, according to this text, that Mary and the child Jesus were in a little bit better living conditions by the time the Magi show up. And by the way, another note, uh, the Magi, we don't know how many there are. Um, there could have been, we know there is at least two, because the Greek word is in the plural. But beyond that, we don't know how many. The reason why people have always assumed it to be three is because of the three gifts. So there's a gift of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And since there's three gifts, people have assumed that there are three magi, but we don't actually know how many they were. And we don't know that they were king, they were not kings, by the way, and they were not from the Orient. They are much more likely from modern, uh, would be modern-day Iran, from the old Persian Empire. 
verse 13, it says, Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son. Here is Hark the Herald Angels Sing by King's College Choir. Verse 16 of Matthew chapter 2. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious. And he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem, and in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah, a voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. Now, a little some historical notes on this. It is true that we have no historical record of Herod doing this outside of the scriptures. But that is not to say it did not happen. The reason why it is believable is because, as I mentioned before, Herod was a person who killed both of his, two of his sons, and he killed his wife because he thought that they were taking his rule. The town of Bethlehem was a town of about 800 people, and 
Herod only wanted to kill all male children under the age of two. So how many male children do you think there were under the age of two in Bethlehem? I would imagine that probably weren't much more than 10 or 15. That's still very tragic, but not as much as sometimes gets depicted. Again, another note is that this is not in a time when there is, you know, newspapers, there is no television, there's no radio, there's no kind of press in this time. And so you basically take in all these factors, there's no one to spread the news around really quickly, and what's more is most people, when they heard of it, they probably just sat there and thought, hey, it's Herod. Herod does these things. And they just did not see the point in recording it. And that's where what I would say probably happened. Nobody bothered to really record it because it's just something that Herod did. Verse 19. It says, But when Herod died... Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel. For those who sought the child's life are dead. And he rose and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. And he went and lived in a city called Nazareth, so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. This is where we're going to end. So, that is... What is the fullness of the story that stretches out the 12 days of Christmas? And this is all going to give context to when we, I review the movie, The Nativity Story, next week. And so, and hopefully it will be, this, is a ni- this was a nice way to prepare your hearts and your minds for the Christmas celebration. And I pray that it is a blessed celebration for all of you who listen. I encourage you to go find a church in your area and make sure you go to Christmas Eve services and Christmas Day services. Partake of the Lord's Supper. Keep not only Christ in Christmas, but also keep the Mass in Christmas. Receive the Lord's Supper. If you are in our area, I encourage you may attend one of our services. Um, We have services at 5 o'clock at St. John in May City, uh, 7 o'clock at St. Pete, sorry, at Zion in Ocheden, and then we have, or just north of Ocheden, and we have another, and then we have a service at 10 o'clock Sunday morning, Christmas Day morning, uh, 10 o'clock at St. Peter in Ocheden. Uh, You are welcome to attend. You can find out more on our website at www. IowaOCLutherNs.org. Uh, so and so thank you and God blessings to you. 
um, in your Christmas celebration and your time with your family. So with that, with the, may the so with that, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. Amen. And I leave you with the recording of the hymn of the, of the Father's Love Begotten as it was recorded by the Concordia Theological Seminary for, for uh, Cantorai Choir.